afternoon, I guess. <laughs> Good afternoon, and uh, we're delighted to see you here. Uh, just a reminder, well, I was going to remind the deacons, but I don't see any of them up here except for the one who gave me the announcement. So I hope he knows and remembers. So uh, uh, I'll just bypass that. Let's take our Trinity hymn books and turn to 588. 588. Come we that love the Lord. Let our joys be known. 588.
Proverbs 11 this afternoon. Uh, as you might recall, <laughs> we noticed that the first nine chapters were heart preparation. And as you know, what is in your heart sooner or later comes out of your mouth, out of the abundance of the heart. Uh, the mouth speaks, the Lord says. And so we had our first uh, quiz in chapter 10 on how you're doing. Um, I've noticed in both of these chapters there seems to be a, a majority of verses in both of these chapters that you might think of as the theme of that chapters. And, of course, the chapter divisions are not uh, divinely inspired, so it just happens to be uh, the way that worked out. And the theme in chapter 10 was your speech, your mouth. There are some, uh, one, two, three, 12 of the 32 verses, uh, over a third, uh, have to do uh, with our mouth. Wisdom is set in opposition to babbling, the, the prating fool there in verse 8. Verse 10, we have the winker who is, speaks with his eye, and he synonymous with a babbler, and he falls. Our mouths can be a well of life, or they can be a source of violence. Verse 11, verse 13, uh, we can speak with wisdom, or our lot will be to have a rod applied to us. 14, uh, knowledge versus destruction. Two paths are very obvious with, with our mouths which are indicative of what's in our heart. There are lips that hide hatred, verse 18, and utter slanders, and they are labeled a fool. Verse 19 should discourage us from talking at all. <laughs> Where there is words, there's sin, right? So <laughs> take it to the bank. Uh, watch how we ought to need to guard our hearts so that in doing so, our mouths will be guarded. Not just that we're <laughs> trying to put a uh, zipper over our mouth and, and we can't because the force of the wickedness in our heart is uh, pushing it aside, but the heart itself can be clean uh, by God's Spirit. We can have a mouth that's valuable like silver, verse 20, or it's not worth anything. We can have a mouth that feeds many. It's like food. Your words are food. Uh, for the hungry, or we can leave people hungry uh, by what we say, empty. We can have a mouth of wisdom, 31, or it can be a tongue that needs to be uh, cut out. <laughs> and then uh, 32, the last one there, knowing what is acceptable. The, the wise tongue, or in, uh, by extension, his heart, knows what is acceptable. He has a sense of right and wrong, doesn't he? So anyway, that was just a warm-up for the series on the use of the tongue that Calvin will be bringing us. Verse uh, chapter 11, the theme here is righteousness, integrity, uh, uprightness. Again, some 12, 11, 12 <laughs> verses out of the uh, 31, I believe it's 31, verses uh, have to do with righteousness. And as it turns out, the word here, in the Hebrew word here, is uh, tzedakah. 
It's the uh, feminine form of the word justice that we had in this morning's sermon uh, from Deuteronomy 16.20. Uh, the word there is zedek, and that is the uh, masculine form. Both of these uh, derive, uh, have the same etymology from, this, from the same word. And so here is the, the feminine <coughs> uh, noun uh, in, in our chapter here of righteousness. There are a couple other topics before we go down through what righteousness does. There's the uh, topic of the marketplace, uh, verse 1. God is uh, very interested in how we prosecute our business. It matters to him. False balances um, are an abomination to him. But we also have quite a few verses on wealth and the distribution of our wealth, verses 24 um, through 27, what it takes to get wealth, it takes strength, verse 16. And then in verse 24 to 27, we see that it uh, seems almost uh, antithetical maybe. Um, to keep it, we need to give it away. Uh, <laughs> there, is, though, there are those who withhold more than is fitting. And it tends to their poverty. So generosity is required. And then there is a very much encouragement in the Proverbs to get wealth. Get as uh, much as you can. Save all you can and give all you can. Uh, that was a quote, an old Ross Mahan quote from way back. It's kind of stuck with me. I think he was quoting uh, Tozer, I think. Anyway. But there is that cautionary note in verse 28 to not trust in it. So that's something to be very careful of. It's easy to, as we, especially as you re approach uh, retirement, and to think, try to get all your ducks in a row and start trusting it. This is going to carry me through. Well, it can disappear. It can take wings and fly away uh, in the morning. Righteousness, the... Uh, main theme of this chapter, it guides us, verse 3, it delivers us from death, verse 4, it directs our way, verse 5, uh, 6 and 8, it, it delivers us from trouble. You want to stay out of trouble? Do right. It's so simple. <laughs> it, it goes well for the righteous, it causes the city to rejoice, it exalts the city, verses 10 and 11, and there is a sure reward. Righteousness will be rewarded. Mark it down. Take it to the bank. Uh, and don't, don't veer uh, from that path. It gives life. 1920, it gives delight to God. Do you want to make God happy? Of course we do. Uh, that's, the, that's, the, that's the greatest goal uh, of the Christian. It delivers uh, from the wicked, wicked people. Hand joined in hand, verse uh, 21, the wicked sometimes band together and uh, have demonstrations, riots, whatever, and we think, <laughs> how are we going to stand? We'll still be delivered uh, from that. Righteous man's desires are always good. 23, the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life. It's a, Again, it's food uh, for our souls food for those souls, for those around us. Verse 31 is interesting. Um, the righteous are recompensed in the earth. Charles Bridges takes this as uh, 
I think it's First Peter, where he says, the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what will be the end of the wicked? How will they fare? So it is uh, our chastening in view, perhaps here, but there's also a reward in this life uh, for righteousness as well. And I was just happened to be reading <coughs> about the midwives in uh, Egypt. They were commanded by Pharaoh to kill all the male children when they were born. They wouldn't do it. <laughs> and it says there that God saw them, their righteousness, I forget how it was put, and he built them houses. So God provided for them even in this life. So there is a reward in this life uh, to the righteous as well. By the way, if you like fairy tales, and I do, verse 22 reminds me of the magic mirror. Mirror, mirror on the wall. You remember that? It was the (laughs) fairest of them all. The Bible is spoken of as a mirror, and we see ourselves, but it's a magic mirror because we don't see our physical faces, but we see our character, what we really are in our hearts. I kind of am amused by uh, this verse, and I picture a a beautiful woman looking in this (laughs) magic mirror and and seeing a hog uh, with a necklace on, and so (laughs) that's what she really is, as a woman who is beautiful but has no discretion. So, um, Proverbs 11, (coughs) we'll uh, take the NIV again. The Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. The integrity of of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of the blameless makes their paths straight, but the wicked are brought down by their own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the unfaithful are trapped by evil desires. Hopes placed in mortals die with them. All the promise of their power comes to nothing. The righteous person is rescued from trouble, and it falls on the wicked instead. With their mouths, the godless destroy their neighbors, but through knowledge, the righteous escape. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. Whoever derides their neighbor has no sense, but the one who has understanding holds their tongue. A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. For lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. Whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer, but whoever refuses to shake hands and pledge is safe. A kind-hearted woman gains honor, but ruthless men gain only wealth. Those who are kind benefit themselves, but the cruel bring ruin on themselves. A wicked person earns deceptive wages, but the one who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. 
Truly, the righteous attain life, but whoever pursues evil finds death. Yahweh detests those whose hearts are perverse, but he delights in those whose ways are blameless. Be sure of this, the wicked will not go unpunished, but those who are righteous will go free. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. The desire of the righteous ends only in good, but the hope of the wicked only in wrath. One person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. People curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessing on the one who is willing to sell. Whoever seeks good finds favor, but evil or trouble comes to the one who searches for it. Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Whoever brings ruin on their family will inherit only wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and the one who is wise saves lives or winneth souls, I believe, King James. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and the one who is wise saves lives. I'm sorry, I just read that. 31, if the righteous receive their due on earth, how much more the ungodly and the sinner? Trinity 269. Trinity 269, glorious things of thee are spoken. Let's stand as we sing this hymn together.
Well, we'll continue looking and consider together the topic of controlling our tongues or taming our tongues. James tells us it is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Controlling our tongue is vital. Verse 26 of chapter 1 of James says, If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart, and that man's religion is worthless. So we see something of the significance even in that text there concerning the importance of controlling our tongue. And we have considered the importance of controlling our tongue together in this study by simply pointing out that the tongue is an indication of the true reality of our hearts or the true sincerity of our profession or the true certainty of our spiritual maturity or the true expectations of the last day. So it is an important and significant topic. Does it really matter how I speak and what I say with my tongue? Well, as we have considered that topic together, I want us now to begin looking at particular sins that must be avoided when it comes to our tongues. And I want to begin with that sin, which is probably the number one sin of the tongue that the Bible mentions. Now, what would that be? It is lying. Falsehood. And so I want us to consider together this afternoon a couple things with regard to the sin of bearing false witness. Remember, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25, lay aside falsehood, speak the truth, each one with his neighbor. And so what I want to do in our time together this afternoon, with what energy I have left, is to first of all give you a definition of lying, and then just consider by skimming the Scriptures, the witness of the Bible concerning lying. And then if we get there, I want us to consider briefly God's response to lying. What does God think about lying? So first of all, let's give a definition of lying. The dictionary has it this way. That which is false, not truthful, or dishonest. To lie is to make a statement that you know is false or deceptive. It's to make a statement that you know it is false, it is dishonest. Now, let me say this. Not all false statements are lies. What do you mean by that? Well, you might make a statement out of ignorance or, or something like that. The illustration is given that you've got a doctor's appointment. And so before you go to get your physical, you're at home and you get on your scales 
and you look down and your scale says 186. So you get to the doctor's office and they walk in and they greet you and they do the things they do at the beginning and the nurse says to you, how much do you weigh? And you say, huh, 186. And then she looks at you and says, well, let's just see here. We've got scales. And you jump on their scales and lo and behold, their scale says 196. Now, did you lie to the nurse? No. You honestly thought you weighed 186. That's what your scale at home said. Every scale is different, I think. And so you get to the, uh, whether 10 pounds, I don't know. But <laughs> when you get to the doctor's office and it reads 196, well, then that's not necessarily a lie. Now, if you weighed yourself at home, and your scale said 196, and you go to the doctor's office, and the nurse says, how much do you weigh? And you say, well, my scale at home said 186. And she says, well, let's see. And you jump on her scale, and they say 196. That would be a lie. It's making a statement that you know is not true. To lie is to deliberately make a false statement. It is to knowingly misrepresent the truth. The purpose of a lie is to deceive another or to make yourself look better. It's to deceive another. That's exactly what happened in the very beginning there in the garden. In Genesis chapter 3, we find recorded the first lie in the first four verses. You're familiar with it, but let's turn over there. Make some movement and keep yourself awake. Genesis chapter 3, the first four verses. Now the servant was more crafty than any beast in the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, God has said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And the woman said to the servant, From the fruit of the tree of the garden you may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. And the servant said to the woman, you surely will not die. Now that's a lie. Satan knows the truth. And he knows that God speaks the truth. And God said back in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. The day you eat from it, you will surely die. That was God's word. The devil knows God speaks the truth, but he told the woman, you will not die. Satan deliberately misrepresented the truth. There was an attempt to deceive a person with their words. And we are told in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that the woman was deceived. 
She was lied to. And she listened. She believed the lie as though it were truth. So here we have some idea of what we mean when we speak about lying. It is a deliberate false statement. Misrepresenting the truth. Dishonesty. A falsehood. That's what we mean by lying. So, secondly, what's the witness of the Bible concerning lying? What's the big deal about lying? Why is it such a big deal? Should we make so much out of it? Well, again, let's just take a journey through the Bible to see how God looks upon lying. Does the Bible give us any indication of God's thoughts on lying? Now, we're not going to be exhaustive, but I've got several. We'll see how far we get. Look over to Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 19. Here in this chapter, he's giving us various laws. He's giving Israel the various laws whereby they were to govern their religious, national, and relational life with others. Here, here's how you're to behave. Here's my rules, my regulations, my laws with regard to your religion, your nation, and your relationship with one another. Now notice just verse 11. You shall not steal. You shall not take another's property. Right? And then he says, nor deal falsely. Don't seek to deceive your neighbor. Don't be deceitful in dealings. There in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1, God finds false weights abominable. You know, if, when you have dealings with somebody, be honest. Be a man of integrity. Don't deceive them. Then he says, verse 11, nor lie to one another. Do not lie to speak the truth to one another. You're to be a holy people. And if you're going to be a holy people, look at verse 1 of chapter 19. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregations of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, is holy. And part of being a holy people is that you do not lie to one another. Lying is not to be found in the covenant people of God. You're to speak the truth. And then a more familiar passage or verse is found there in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20.
verse 16. I hope it's a section that you're somewhat familiar with as we've been making our way through the book of Deuteronomy. It's repeated. These words are repeated in Deuteronomy chapter 5. But here's God's standard as to how we ought to live. And in verse 16, we have the commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The commandment of God tells us what we are not to do. Don't lie to each other. Tell the truth. And then let's go over to Job. Job. Chapter 27. Job is speaking about his own integrity, his, his own righteousness. And as he tries and seeks to defend his own righteousness, one of the ways in which he does that is found there in verse 4. And he says, My lips certainly will not speak unjustly, nor will my tongue mutter deceit. He, he's making a declaration. And the declaration is this, what you hear coming out of my mouth and what I speak with my lips is going to be that of truth. It's not going to be falsehood or deception. It will be truth. One of the marks of a man of integrity is that he speaks the truth. You can trust what comes out of his mouth. He does not make promises or say things that he knows will be false. He's careful. Right? So, I'd love to have a politician who would be willing to stand up and say, I'm not sure I can do this. I want to try to do this. It may not come to pass as opposed to one who promises me everything and then delivers nothing, but speaks to get elected, not to be a man of honesty or a woman of honesty. Integrity is marked out by speaking the truth. Psalm 120. Go over to Psalm 120. And again, all I'm seeking to do is, is to set before you just a biblical witness concerning lying. The people of God are on a pilgrimage, they're going up to Jerusalem. And there are all around them those who care nothing for His God. He's surrounded by people that care nothing about God. And we hear His cry. In my trouble, I cried to the Lord, and He answered me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips 
and a, de- and a deceitful tongue. He's crying out. He's, he's, he's in the midst of trouble. And he's surrounded by those who care nothing about God. And he is weary. And he's asking God perhaps to deliver him from not falling prey to that or praying that, that he would be relieved from that. It is a torture. It is trouble to be around lying lips and a deceitful tongue. He is weary of living in a culture of lying. And he longs to be delivered from that. As long as I can get ahead, as long as it makes me feel better, as long as I'm not physically hurting someone, what's the big deal about telling a lie? We ought to be weary. It marks the ungodly who use their tongues to tell lies. We ought to pray to be delivered from such. And then turn over to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 12. God willing, next week, Mr. Middleton will be in this chapter. But it has something to say to us about lying. Look at verse 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. What's abomination? He finds it hideous. In Leviticus chapter 18, When there's a description of the vile sins of the land of Canaan, we read these words, You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It's an abomination. You shall not practice any abominable customs. Now think about that for a minute. You shall not lie with a male as you would lie with a female. God says, that's abominable. And we would say, yes, that is, that practice is abominable. Well, may I remind you, in Proverbs chapter 12, God says the same thing about lying. He says it's abominable. He, he connects it with such vile sins as homosexuality. I mean, most of us would be somewhat repulsed by that lifestyle. And we would say with God, that is abominable. That's terrible. But we don't look at lying the same way. But God does. God does. He feels the same way about those vile sins that we might call them. He feels the same way about lying lips. Is it a big deal? Or you know what we do. 
I don't know where this came from. Maybe somebody can tell me. It was just a little white lie. It wasn't a whopper. It was a white lie. I don't know where that comes. I don't know what that means, except it's not that big a deal. You know, as, as though, okay, well, well, I'm sorry. I thought it was a red lie or a black lie or a pink lie. It was just a white lie? Oh, well, you know. Does that make you feel better? It's a white lie. I don't think God looks at a white lie and says, oh, okay. He finds it abominable. Proverbs 26 and verse 28. 26, 28. A lying tongue hates those it crushes. And a flattering mouth works ruins. Your lie crushes the person you've lied to. Crushes them. It hurts them. It hurts them. Isaiah. I feel like we went through these quickly, but that's all I want to do. I'm just hoping you're saying, wow. Lying. God does have something to say about lying. Isaiah 59. The nation had been judged by God. Judah is in captivity in Babylon. And they were being told why they were in that condition. Notice verses 1 through 3. Behold, the Lord's hand is not short that it cannot save, nor his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. For your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken falsehood, and your tongue mutters wickedness. Your sins have separated you between separated you and your God. And what's that sin? One of the sins is you've got a lying tongue that separates you from God. It separates you. And he points that out. Jeremiah chapter nine. Jeremiah chapter nine. Four and five. Let everyone be on guard against his neighbor and do not trust any brother because every brother deals craftily and every neighbor goes about with slander. Everyone deceives his neighbor and does not speak the truth. It's interesting that when lying becomes a way of life, when lying just becomes part of life in general, the fabric of society cannot hold together. It can't. And therefore, we ought to stay away from it. It's a horrible state. You can't trust your neighbor. You can't trust anybody. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Starting at verse 33. Again, you have heard that 
the ancients were said, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statements be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything, anything beyond these is of evil. In other words, what you say, make it be the truth. Yet your yes be yes and your no's be no. Speak the truth. Don't dance around it. Don't try to deceive. Speak the truth. We won't turn there, but we could turn to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. There, two people God disciplined. You know how He disciplined? He struck them down. He struck them dead. And you know why He disciplined them? Because they lied. They lied. They sold a piece of property. They, they get the money. They, they, they hold part of it back. But they give the pretense that they're giving it all. And everybody, oh, what a generous gift. Look at that. They've, they've given it everything. And, and they've lied to the Holy Spirit. And God strikes them down. And we say, wow, that's severe. I mean, what if He struck us down every time we lied? Number one, I probably wouldn't be speaking to anybody. And number two, there probably wouldn't be a speaker to speak if He struck us down every time we told a lie. That's what He did to Ananias and Sapphira for lying. And it was a warning to others. Remember, others began, whoa, we don't want to mess with them. Hopefully they learn, we've got to speak the truth. Because we're not going to get away with it. There in Acts chapter 5. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 9, do not lie to one another. You're, you're a new man in Christ, and one of the evidences of that new man is he speaks the truth. He speaks the truth. Look over to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. <clears throat> There was a real pandemic on the Isle of Crete. Someone in the pagan world has found that in Crete, that the Cretans world, the crowning sin was that of lying. Look at verse 12. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, says, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy and gluttonous. They were known to be liars. I mean, Hoosiers are known for their basketball. Wolverines are known for their football. Buckeyes are, I think, known for, I don't know what they're known for. But Cretans, they were known for being liars. Liars. And it ought not to be said about us. 
You can't trust them. They speak the lie. And then one other verse. Look over to Revelation chapter 21. I hope by this time I've convinced you that God's Word has something to say about lying. About lying. And here in Revelation 21, we have the new heaven and the new earth set before us. It's a beautiful sight. You wipe away every tear from their eyes. But then he talks about those who will not experience the new heaven and new earth. And we read these words in verse 8, But for the cowardly and the unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters, and, and all along you reading that, you're saying, yeah, yeah. I mean, immoral people ought not to go to heaven. Idolaters ought not to go to heaven. Murderers, of course, murderers should never go to heaven. But my friend, keep reading. And all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. All liars will have their part in the lake that burns forever. Does God have something to say about lying and liars? I trust we're saying yes. I see a couple of people nodding their head. Thankfully, nobody's going like this. Otherwise, I'm going to start again and try to prove it again. So, no. The Bible has something to say about liars. Well, just briefly, notice with me God's response to this use of the tongue. Turn to a couple passages. Look over to Psalm chapter 5, the fifth psalm. The fifth psalm. Starting at verse 4. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eye. You hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. Isn't it interesting that here the same punishment comes upon the man who sheds blood who also speaks falsehood. The same punishment from God falls upon the murderer as well as the liar, we are told here. Look over to Psalm 52, the 52nd Psalm. Starting at verse 1. Why do you boast an evil, O mighty man? Thy loving kindness of God endures all day long. Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor, O worker of deceit. You love evil more than good, falsehood more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour 
and the deceitful and the oh deceitful tongue, but God will break you down forever, and He will snatch you up and tear you away from your tent and uproot you from the land of the living. Your lying provokes God. Your lying provokes God to be violent towards you. He will break you down forever. He will uproot you from the land of the living. And of course, most of us are familiar with Proverbs chapter 6. God says He hates lying lips. Proverbs chapter 6. There are six things which the Lord hates, yea, seven which are an abomination to Him. A haughty eye. What else? A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that run rapidly into evil. A false witness who utters lies. Isn't that interesting? It's like he's repeating himself. In case you didn't hear me. Right? Lying lips and a false witness that utters, utters lies. And one who spreads strife among his brothers. He warns us. God hates these. He finds it abominable. You want to provoke God's hatred? As weird as that sounds? Lying lips. And then one other verse. Proverbs 19. Proverbs 19. Here's the warning. Proverbs 19 and verse 5. Listen. A false witness will not go unpunished. Did you ever tell a lie and think you can get away with it? Nobody's going to know. Perhaps... You're in the midst of one right now, and you're thinking, nobody knows. I'm the only one that knows. I'm not going to be found out. I'm going to get away with this. And my friends, there is one who knows. And you will not get away with it. It will not go unpunished. God will punish liars. Now, have you lied? Well, I'll be the first to confess I've lied. And this sounds almost... There's no relief. What what can happen? Well, praise God for His grace and mercy. Praise God for His grace and mercy that saves us from our sins... But if He saved us from our sins, listen, it not only affects whether you go to... When you, we talk about, well, I'm saved from my sins, I'm going to heaven. When a man, a woman is saved from their sins, it affects also the way they speak. How they use their tongue. And the warning here is one who is held in the grips of of the reigning sin of lying. 
I, I don't want anybody to walk away this afternoon on a guilt trip. Well, you know, I know I've lied. I, I know I've lied. And, and it sounds like it's, it's doom and gloom because I've lied. Well, if you've known of God's grace and mercy, He's forgiven. He forgives all sin. But my friend, if you claim to be a Christian and you're still held in the grips of unrestrained lying, of the remaining sin of lying, you better examine your heart. If you just lie naturally to get out of trouble, if you just lie in order to make yourself look good, if, if you lie to, to deceive people, and, and it's no big deal, my friend, you better examine your relationship to God. For this warning is against those who have this reigning sin. That, that sin has no longer, it should be said, it no longer has dominion over me. But if that sin still has dominion over you, you better ask. And you better honestly search to see what your relationship is to God. Does the Bible have something to say about lying? Does it really matter? Is it a big deal? Well, I trust we can say, yes, it is. And we will take heed. And may God help us to speak the truth. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank You for the direction Your Word gives to us. And we pray that we'll take heed. And that, Father, by Your help and with the aid of Your Spirit, and by making ourselves resolutely determined, we will speak the truth. And that, Father, where we speak falsehoods and, and where we're dishonest, oh, Father, may You be that loving parent that disciplines us so that we might turn away from it, forsake it, so by our lives You're honored and glorified. By our tongues You are magnified. So help us, we pray as we ask these things in Christ's name, Amen. Well, in closing, let's take the Trinity hymn book and turn to 502. We'll close with this. Rejoice, ye pure in heart. Rejoice, give thanks and sing. 502. Let's stand together as we sing.